0: Our scripture text this evening is Second Peter chapter three verses one to thirteen that can be found on page one thousand three hundred in your pew Bibles. Second Peter three verses one through thirteen and also we will be reading Belgic Confession Article thirty seven. This can be found on page one hundred and ninety eight in the back of your forms and prayers book. We take up this topic of the last judgment, what is to come, even as we just sang that day of reckoning. And with that on our minds, this topic on our minds, let's ask for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we beseech thee to hear us and to answer with us. Every time we open your word, we bring a prayer before you that you would give to us understanding and that we would be receptive we pray that in light as well of the topic that we discuss here this evening, something that we long for or we desire to long for, and that is your coming again. We pray that in a topic that is difficult, that can be hard to understand, you'd give us the clarity of your word and what you've revealed as well, that you would leave mysterious that which you have not revealed. We pray that all things said this evening would be true and according to your word, and we pray ultimately that through the reading and the preaching of your word we would glorify your name and the comfort that we take from you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Here in 2nd Peter chapter 3, we get one of the clearest presentations of what is going on in our own day and how we are to see these end times in which we live. 2nd Peter 3 This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the Holy Prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now we will read a summary of what God's Word teaches on the Last Judgment in the Belgic Confession, Article 37. It says, Finally, we believe, according to God's Word, that when the time appointed by the Lord has come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven, bodily and visibly, as he ascended, with great glory and majesty, to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. Then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge, men, women, and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. They will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived." And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, from corruptible to incorruptible. Then the books, that is, the consciences, will be opened, and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world, whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give account for of all the idle words they have spoken, which the world regards as only playing games. And then the secrets and hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. Therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to wicked and evil people, but it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. They will then receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered, Their innocence will be openly recognized by all, and they will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences and shall be made immortal, but only to be tormented in the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In contrast, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor, The Son of God will confess their names before God his Father and the holy and elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes, and their cause, at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil officers, will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. And, as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. So we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. People of God, British philosopher Bertrand Russell once said, Brief and pitiless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure, doom falls, pitiless and dark, blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent manner rolls on its relentless way, for man... Condemned today to lose his dearest, tomorrow himself to pass. Through the gates of darkness it remains only to cherish, ere yet the blow falls, the lofty thoughts that ennoble his little day. What he's saying there is that matter rolls on. It continues. Time comes, and like an ever-crushing steam engine or a rolling engine, like you see, that presses down the blacktop and the pavement, those heavy wheels that just roll on, omnipotent matter rolls on and crushes everything in its path, crushes everyone. And he says that the best that man can do is to relish those thoughts that ennoble his little day, knowing full well that today he'll lose the one closest to him before tomorrow himself will pass is life, according to this philosopher. Is that indeed life? What about the end? Question that's seldom asked, what about the end? Where's all this going? Where's the world going? What's its conclusion? Now, we just read it. You see, we are blessed, very blessed to know the future. And I know we want to know more. We want a lot more details, we want to know timing, we want to know what it's going to look like, we want to at least have some idea of what this means, we wanted greater explanation, but what we're given is sufficient. We know the end, we know the outcome, where we're all heading, we know the truth of this day, and we have many details to fill it out for us to be able to explain and know, even in this life, what will happen. Certainly, many elements are mysterious and are unknown to us. And this question has indeed fascinated many Christians and led to much speculation. Many of our brothers take as literal, apocryphal texts and apply it in such a way where we end up with multiple resurrections, where we end up splitting the people of God into Jews and to Gentiles, where we have a reinstitution of the sacrificial system. All of that is not right, all of that is a misreading. And so on the one hand, we have an over-the-top preoccupation with the end times, an over-the-top questioning that isn't good, that the secret things belong to God, but in our minds we want them to be made, to be revealed to us. We don't want them to stay secret, and so we ask the questions we want to know, or it's just we misunderstand what is in Scripture, we misunderstand the language of apocryphal texts that were meant to reveal certain aspects in a figurative way, using figurative numbers and imagery that can't be taken literal, and if they are, create discord and problems with the coming, the simple coming of Christ. And I say simple because when all is said and done, that is the case. It's simple because we await one coming, one final appearing of Christ who will come, and at that time it ends. At that time, judgment falls and blessing is received by God's people and justice is meted out against God and his adversities. So on the one hand, we have that over-the-top preoccupation. But then on the other hand, there are those who never think about it at all. Perhaps due to the influence of our own fear of death, of what we don't understand of eternality and these fears, we seldom will set our minds on it. Or perhaps it's like Bertrand Russell and what he said. We are more just afraid of it and think that it is negative and it's easier to live with our heads turned down towards the ground and towards our feet and what we do rather than thinking of what is ahead. But you see, both of these overreactions don't get at Scripture. And by not thinking of it enough, we miss the great hope that is held out for believers, that is to actually liven and strengthen our faith and our hearts to think of the end. Where we're all headed—that is the, the question that most don't like to ask. Isn't it amazing that the number one problem everyone faces is the most well-kept secret? Everyone is going to die, and we all know it. And yet, do we ask that question? Well, what's after it? Where is it going? Is there a reckoning? Is there a judgment? These se- these questions of utmost importance have less mental real estate in the world's minds, and even sometimes in our own minds, than what we're going to have for dinner. We avoid it, and we don't think about it. But that is not what Peter, that is not what God's word presents to us. It rather presents to set your hope on this thing. Be well informed of it. We would ask those who claim like this philosopher that matter is just eternal and rolls on, And some others will say that, no, the world is going to die, it's going to burn up, and they're usually okay with that because they know they won't be around by that time, but then they skip over the fact of where they'll be. And to those who'll say, they'll just be annihilated, and you say, what if you're wrong? And they might have a sardonic grin and say, well, obliteration is just fine with me. Or what I've heard from unbelievers, I have a lot of friends in hell as well, I'll be okay. What a a position to take so flippant for eternal matters. You see, that's far more important than the here and the now, where you're going and living in light of that. And so we see that the Belgic does a good job of ordering this last judgment, of taking much... Of from God's Word. You see all the quotations in that article from Scripture and what it has to say about the end times, and it presents it in such a way to give the believer an eager anticipation, an eager longing for what's going to happen, and not a dread, not a fear, but a joy. So our theme this evening is, Far from endless speculations and fears, Christ makes the last judgment a great comfort to the righteous and elect. Far from endless speculations and fears, Christ makes the last judgment a great comfort to the righteous and the elect, where at that end time, what he will do is he will pronounce before the Father, confess and acknowledge us as his people. What a day! What a day! Just think of that. Your name taken on the lips of Jesus and declared before the Father himself that you are his enter into glory and the place he has been preparing for you. That is the hope. And, I, and what I want to happen, the hope for this message this evening, is that the, the allure of this world will be somewhat dimmed in comparison to what awaits. That there would be, and that there would be awakened in our hearts an eager longing and an anticipation for that time when the, the, the pain of this world is put to death where our tears are wiped away, when all things will be made right and new, and where there won't be an errant thought in your mind. And not just an errant thought, there just won't be a thought that bothers you, that causes concern or fear or anxiety. None of that will happen. And we'll look at the coming at these end times for these following points. Our first point is the last judgment and its timing. Its timing. The Belgic says... Finally, we believe according to God's word that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly. You see that this timing is unknown, is what the Belgic says. It says it's unknown to all creatures. Our confession of hope about Jesus' return is according to the word of God that we can't figure it out. And how much. How many problems in church history have arisen from those who have tried to nail down a day or a time? How much of it is the speculation of when he will come and when he won't and won't? And then a preoccupation with the events of the days where we see everything that happens in the land of Israel or Palestine or everything that happens today find some neat little reference in the book of Revelation and we try to unpack and unfold that in that way, but that's not the case. The timing is unknown. We have no idea. The Lord shall return, it says, like a thief in the night, on a day and an hour that no man knows. And so we who who long for that coming know that the time of the Lord's coming will be when the number of the elect is complete. And in that we take joy. As our text says from Peter, the Lord is not just, just being Slow. He's not just waiting. He's being patient. He's being gracious that the full number of believers would be brought in. He has that number, and that number will be achieved. It's the patience and grace of our Lord that causes what we might say a delay. To call it a delay is actually incorrect. A delay means that there is a a time that was set, and it got pushed back. We can speak of it in the sense that there's the delay in the coming. But what we can't mean by that is that God had assigned a time and that got delayed and pushed back from his original intent. The day has been fixed from the moment he created the world. And it is heading to that day. As we said this morning, the countdown clock of Judgment Day is continually winding down. There is an end date and it could happen at any moment. And in that we take comfort as well. It's comforting to know that Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Savior, the one we want to be with could come at any time. You know, you await and, and the anticipation of the, the loved one, the relative who's visiting or gone. You don't exactly know when they're arriving, so you're just sitting there, right, boys and girls, when you are really excited to see your, your aunt come or a friend come over, and you're just sitting there basically watching the door, wondering, when is it going to open, or when is the car going to pull into the driveway? And there's this anticipation, there's this eager longing, How sad is it when your parents might come to you and say, oh, uh, there was a problem, and they're going to be late. There's another couple hours you have to wait, and you might walk away sort of depressed. I have to wait even longer. Well, that's not what we were told. We're not told, no, there's a long time to go. We're told this could be at any moment. The Lord can return, and we have that anticipation. We sit there awaiting it, glorying in it. We don't know the time, and we don't need to know the time. It doesn't do us any good, for it wouldn't change. If Christ were to come tomorrow, or in a thousand years, the task of the church would be no different. To fulfill the Great Commission, to live for the kingdom, to seek first the kingdom, that is what we are doing until the time of his coming. And so though the timing is not known, we understand why he's doing what he is. We understand that the signs of the times don't necessarily point to, oh, we can say now it's all lining up. Now it's here. The signs of the times are of these last days. Christ told the church what would happen. There would be wars, and there would be rumors of war. There would be pestilence and plagues. There would be all of these things. These would characterize the last days so that we're not shocked when they come. And so what we would be reminded of isn't, oh, let's look at the watch. It's, it's going to come now because we see this, and all this lines up, and we figured out the map of Revelation, so here it is. No. He told us what would characterize the end times so that as we see them, we would be reminded of his words, that these things will, uh, will happen, characterize the time, and remind us he's then coming. The plan is laid out. It's proceeding according to plan. What he said would happen, would happen. And so when we hear in the news, is there a nuclear war coming? What does a Christian do? We say, well, whether it does or does not, we know these are part of the times that characterize these last days, but our hope isn't in that. Or even in avoiding that, our hope is in the one who's coming, that door as boys and girls we look at and anticipate. When is it opening? When is he descending and all of his glory and might that we would partake in it? So that's the timing of the kingdom. The timing of the judgment, I should say. Our second point, the last judgment and the punishment, the punishment as far as the material world is concerned we saw in 2 peter 3 that it will be purified by burning fire it will be it will be purified the fire will cleanse it it will be destroyed in that sense to be made anew but the world won't be obliterated it will be cleansed and the lord will make from it a new perfect world And that all those will rise again. All creatures, all humans will rise again. Those who have ever lived, both believers and unbelievers, to face the judgment. They will all be there. Not a soul ever created will be absent. All will be present. And contrary to what some teach, there is heaven and there is hell. There isn't obliteration and annihilation that awaits. There is one of two destinations where all people go. And this is the grand reckoning. Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty six, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So what do we take from this? What comfort do we take from this? Justice will be done. As our text says, as the Belgic makes clear from other passages in Scripture, what we await is a declaration of innocence. That divine who was right that's not to make us feel puffed up and proud. It's that we have been the victor- victorious in Christ. That those who persecuted the church will have what's coming to them, and we don't say that in a proud way. We say that in a just way, and we can rejoice in that. Those who persecuted the church do have what's coming to them. There is a reckoning for every word spoken, every thought spoken a judgment day comes. That is immensely comforting. It means here and now we as God's people can bear with injustice injustice we can bear with being put down we can bear with the world and its threats because we know it won't end that way it'll be fixed though the house is in disarray though the world is in disarray the builders coming and with that truth then when we see the building falling apart around us we then don't fall away in fear for we know what's happening what Christ will do. And in this judgment, we know what will happen. There is that text from Matthew 25 that Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats and the separation of them, where he will tell to unbelievers, to those goats, depart from me, you curse into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, that's what awaits them. You will say, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it. To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's what's awaiting at that judgment. But the judgment is a one-time judgment. It's a one-time event, and that's our third point, the last judgment, a one-time event. Remember, far from endless speculations and fears, Christ makes the last judgment a great comfort to the righteous and to the elect. And it's a one-time event. We don't wait multiple comings. Article 37 deals with eschatology and these last things and this doctrine. We have so many views today. I'm just going to read some of the views we have. We have amillennialism, postmillennialism, theon- the- theonomic postmillennialism, historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, progressive dispensationalism, and preterism, whether partial or consistent. Take your pick. And then the one that many people like, the panmillennialist. it all pans out in the end. That's what some will say. That's their eschatological view that will just wait and happen. I'm not saying that that's a good one. But we have them all. We have all these. Well, what is the truth? And the truth is that there is one judgment. There is one coming of the Lord. There aren't multiple. I'm not going to go into an a, a extended dialogue on this, that the premillennialist dispensationalists hold to a view that we would say is unscriptural. It's an error to believe that there will be multiple comings of the Lord. That's what, it's what's required in their system Multiple resurrections, multiple comings, and various reigns, and then and, and release of those to then be to be discouraged the world in a time of tribulation and all these things. But that isn't what Scripture says. As Second Peter makes plain, what's awaiting is the coming of the Lord like a thief in the night. It's a one-time event. See where they get it wrong is they teach that Christ will return pre-millennium. That's before the thousand-year reign of Christ. That that's when He'll come and then reign for a thousand literal years. But we see that the thousand-year reign of Christ doesn't refer to a literal thousand-year period. It refers to all of these days between the times of Christ's coming, where He came as a baby, and when He comes as a judge. He's reigning in heaven now. He is on his throne now, and that culmination will come at his last judgment. There is no separation of the people of God between Israel and between the church. The church is the people of God, and it has existed from the very beginning. It has existed with our father Abraham, and the promise given to the church was in Genesis 3.15 that the, the seed of the woman would come and crush the seed of the serpent. There is one people of God. There has only ever been one. And our destinies and the way of salvation is the same. It's not separate. This is the consistent teaching of God's Word, and so we do oppose those teachings that separate that, that posit many returns of Christ. P.Y. DeYoung says... The confession leaves little room for dispensational views of two or more resurrections and judgments at the end of the ages. Since such views are exceedingly prevalent among American evangelicals, we do well to study and evaluate them in the full light of scriptural teaching on these last things. The Reformed speak of only one resurrection and judgment. This seems plainly indicated from God's word, where it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour cometh, in which all that are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of judgment John 5:28 and 29 that is what awaits a one time coming and this is again joyous joyous to know that that glorification of the church is just right right there right around the corner as God's word says it is in near We don't need to take that nearness to mean it must be within our lifetime. We take that nearness to mean it can be at any time, any possible time of the church and Christ's coming. Now our final point, the last judgment, the believer's hope. This is where I want us to end. This is where I want us to have that eager longing and anticipation for this is our hope. The hope of that end times We know what will happen, that there will be a judgment and there will be degrees of judgment. There will be greater blessings to those who have been more righteous in this earth in a temporal way. There isn't as if everyone is judged equally. There are greater blessings in heaven to those who have performed and done through God's grace and through his gifts done what is right. And there will be greater degrees of punishment in hell. That's a reformed teaching. We do not say that there is no sin that's worse or there isn't one action of God that is better or those that haven't done more good works. Why do we say that? Cuz God is just, and as a judge, he judges accordingly. And to those that have lived a full life of righteousness, there is great blessing to be had there. And yet all are blessed. All are filled, all are full in the coming of Christ. There's no lack. The Belgic says that the thought of the last judgment is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. We await a total redemption. We await that end glorification, and it's coming. First Thessalonians chapter 4, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then he ends the text this way, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with the doctrine of the last judgment. Encourage one another to those who have experienced loved ones and friends who have, as the text says, fallen asleep, not because it says their soul sleep. This is referring to death, but it's using that terminology to show what it's like for them. It's like as if they were asleep, because they will awake, is the point. They're not gone. They're coming back. The judgment is coming. Encourage those with these words. The coming of Christ is beautiful and encouraging, and all we await is glory. We don't await the last judgment with fear and trepidation. We know that there it's declared who we are, that we're Christ's. I want to end with one text from Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, where Paul summarizes his life and summarizes his ministry and one in which we should take as, as our summary, as what we long for. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We are the people who have loved the appearing of the Lord. We loved his appearing when he came as the baby, we love his appearing when he comes as the judge and the king. For those who love his appearing, as Paul says, there is a crown of life from the righteous judge who bears our own nature. And so, people of God, far from endless speculations and fears, Christ makes the last judgment a great comfort to the righteous and to the elect. Set your hope on it. Long for it. That Christ is coming and with it, he will be able to express to you in ways that you have not known his love in such clarity, in such ways where the, the aspect of faith will be removed. See, faith is believing in what you can't see, believing in what has not yet happened or been given. Well, that will be removed in that we will see it. His own presence bodily there. You will see him as surely and as clearly as you see each other, and it's tangible. Because of the nature of the end times, we so much make it this dreamlike state, this sort of wispy experience, what it's going to be like, and we sort of make it less real than what this earth is, and what the life that we have now is. It's far more tangible than we give credit. It's not this, this mystical experience. You will be able to touch the body of Christ. And your minds, your very soul right now thinking, well, is that the case? That's who will be there. You, you will be there in your body glorified. All marks of sin and the curse removed in the best and perfect existence that you can possibly have. That's what we await in Christ. And that's our comfort. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you and we thank you for this great truth and lord jesus christ we beseech thee as we await your coming we await with eager anticipation and longing ready for that for that coming like the thief in the night where there won't be an expectation there will be no way to pinpoint the day or the hour but it will come and with it we will be in so much joy to hear a divine trumpet to hear the voice of one of your creatures created to have such a voice to ring out through all the world and herald your coming. What a glorious day that will be, and we will all be there together as your people, because we are in Christ. We praise you for this truth, and we end our prayer, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly.